Every Tuesday, Warren Johncock goes to Perth Airport. Not to catch a plane, but to talk to iron ore train drivers before they fly up north to work in the Pilbara, in the top left corner of Australia. Warren reckons he's the only person in Perth to go to the airport for the coffee. Yeah, the coffee's uh, well, it's expensive and it's pretty average. Warren's the new Mining and Energy Union Pilbara organiser. So, what are the train drivers' biggest concerns? Yeah, the main issues that they raise are obviously the COVID restrictions and how they apply to the FIFO drivers, wages, accommodation, and that, that comes down to the price sometimes of you know the beer that's available at the camps. Um, training is a big one. The drivers work for one of the four main iron ore operators in the Pilbara. BHP, Rio Tinto, called Pilbara Iron, Fortescue Metal Group, or FMG, that's Andrew Twiggy Forest Company, and Roy Hill, owned by Gina Reinhardt. The iron ore industry is one of Australia's most lucrative. It's also booming right now. And while many Australian miners live and work in the regions, in central Queensland or in the Hunter, the Pilbara is more than regional. Much of it is desert, and it's extremely isolated. It's also over 45 degrees for a third of the year in the summer months, and it's a very challenging place to live and work. Warren's members drive the gigantic trains, some as long as 2.4 kilometres, which carry the iron ore from the inland mines to the coastal ports at Cape Lambert, Dampier and Port Hedland. The longest trains carry about $7 million in ore to be shipped to steelworks in China, South Korea and Japan. And it's them, the drivers, that have borne the brunt of COVID restrictions, more so than even the mine operators. For the companies, it's disruptive. For the drivers, it's personal. The hard border between WA and the East has left some stuck in the West. They've had six, 12, 15 or 18 months away from their kids grandkids, partners and communities, temporarily living in Perth or in the Pilbara. Others are stuck over east, chewing up their leave. Many have simply left the industry. Estimates are at one in five. That's a lot of skills and experience to evaporate from a booming sector. One in five. Just think about that for a second. Doesn't sound like everyone's happy. Rodney Slap is the president of the Rio Tinto Pilbara Lodge of the Mining and Energy Union. He moved to the Pilbara midway through the pandemic after 10 years of national FIFO work and after getting stuck behind the hard border in 2020. With COVID happening last March, it just was untenable to be flying from um, Melbourne or anywhere into WA with the hard border. So a lot of us got caught behind the hard border if we wanted to keep working. And uh, even today, there's still people that can't get back from New South Wales or Victoria to work, or there's people who've got their families back there and they've chosen to stay in Western Australia to have a job. And, you know, a lot of people have lost their job during COVID, um, so we're lucky we've kept ours because we've been very busy with uh, you know the big demand for iron ore. However, it's come at a cost for a lot of the guys, and you know they haven't seen their family for three, six months. But it's not just that people are unhappily stuck on either side of the border with their family life suffering. Rosters have been changed radically for those working in the West, leaving many exhausted. At BHP, a two-week-on, two-week-off roster has been replaced by two-week-on, one-week-off. 
And while over the last 18 months, drivers at BHP have worked hard to keep the industry on its feet, they are now at breaking point. They've had the goodwill of the drivers for a, a long period of time now. That has meant nothing to BHP. They are still rostering these people, even though they have family issues, they have fatigue issues, they have travel issues. When a driver indicates that they've just had enough, BHP aren't listening. BHP drivers who live in the Pilbara in Port Hedland and Newman have also been pushed to work overtime. At Rio Tinto, things are better, but not perfect. Uh, Rio Tinto, on the other hand, have got people who are volunteers. Um, they have had their rosters changed from a four-on-four-off to an eight-on-six-off, as an example, for the residential drivers. Um, however, what, what we've seen is that those drivers who did not volunteer to have their roster changed are picking up the shit jobs. Luckily, drivers at FMG and Roy Hill are still working the two-on-two -two roster. So, what else do drivers raise with Warren on Tuesdays at Perth Airport? Pay rates are another big issue. Now, I should mention at this point, Warren does fly to the Pilbara for the first week of each month to meet with members in Port Hedland, Wickham, Caratha, Newman and Tom Price. He's a former iron ore train driver and has been a leading light in the two local mining and energy union lodges in the Pilbara. He's also worked in rail regulation with the National Regulator, the Office of the National Rail Safety Regulator. He was a senior safety officer, so he knows the industry back to front. And Warren knows pay rates cause enormous anger, and it's a problem across the industry. These train drivers, sitting in the departure lounge at Perth Airport sipping coffee with Warren, know the driver next to them on the aircraft flying them up north to do the same job at the same company will almost certainly be on a different rate of pay to them. Sometimes the pay difference can be $50,000 a year. And there are other differences. Some have their flights paid for by the company, and some don't. Some can salary sacrifice their flights. It's an absolute dog's breakfast. Some of the problems stem from BHP's introduction of John Howard's anti-worker Australian workplace agreements in 1999, which puts drivers on individual contracts. So what that's resulted in is you've got people that signed up in the early days that end up with a, uh, a, a pretty good agreement, uh, people that come along in the, in the middle, say 10 years ago, who did okay, and then today, people who sign up to become a train driver at BHP today could be rewarded better or end up with more money than somebody that's been around for 10 years. That in itself creates a lot of animosity in the workplace. Um, BHP, uh, through correspondence, have said they're happy with the arrangements they have in place and that their, their troops are. Obviously, having 87% of people sign a petition saying they're not, um, it should hopefully uh, send BHP in the right direction. Over at the other operators, um, Rio Tinto, um, I think have a lot of work to do in regards to their base rates. Um, you know, and the thing about the base rate is what your super's paid on. So that, that in itself is a, is a big issue. It's one of the big things that is, makes the Pilbara worthwhile working in. Um, but it, generally across the organisations, the base rate is the biggest concern for train drivers and what we're hoping to do in the next five years is to, to uh, get some consistency in regards to what those base rates look like 
Uh, moving forward, what we are hoping to do in the Pilbara with the four operators is get the collective agreements up and have those remuneration levels uh, captured in the collective agreements. Justin Parry often has a coffee with Warren at the airport before he flies up north. He's the president of the BHP Pilbara Lodge of the Mining and Energy Union. He started at Rio 17 years ago. He says pay rates were a mess from day one. There was like five of us started that day at Rio Tinto and we looked at um, what contracts we'd been given uh, like uh, two weeks in and even the five of us, there were three of us with different pay rates. So it, it causes a huge morale problem. You know, it all depends on how well you get on with your supervisor or if the superintendent doesn't like you. Things like that will um, cause you to, to not get a pay rise. Um, and there's other times where I've seen there's just no reason behind it as well that um, you can have two guys have the same performance review for the year and one will get a $5,000 pay rise say and the other one will get a thousand. We always liken it as a joke in the workplace that um, they have one of these like magic eight balls <laughs> and um, when it comes to pay rises they just shake the magic eight ball and um, whatever number comes out that's what pay rise you get. Justin also talks to a lot of members. He says training is another topic which, to use the modern term, triggers a lot of drivers. Once getting a cert for in train driving was um, something that all companies did, you know, uh, it was part of their quality assurance. But um, it just seems in the last probably 10 years that giving people that cert for in train driving, it's no longer a priority. You spend a lot of time getting the skills, learning how to drive a big train, um, and then you can't transfer those skills. You, you, know, you don't have any certificate or anything that says that you're actually qualified in those skills. And a lot of the companies, especially the freight companies now, in their advertising, it's mandatory that you have that qualification. So maybe it is um, you know, something that the mining companies are doing because they lose a lot of staff there's a high turnover that uh, maybe it's a, a measure to ensure people can't leave. Warren says it's vital Australia's training frameworks are followed consistently. The main issue with training across the board, across the four organisations, is the amount of people that are getting trained. Traditionally in the rail industry, there's always been people that are getting trained, but generally it's people who have come from other railroads who have previous experience. Right now, in the Pilbara at uh, BHP, they have over 100 uh, people who have no previous experience. Um, Rio, Tinto, Rio Tinto have a significant amount of people without previous rail experience. Uh, Roy Hill have brought a number of people, um, some of them being ex-truck drivers from uh, Roy Hill. And also FMG have a number of people who are training up. Um, the issue generally is the consistency and the transferability of that qualification. Um, the Australian training framework indicates what a train driver needs to be trained in or organisations have to exceed that, that uh, limitation. Um, but right now we don't have any consistency and no transferability in regards to those qualifications if you want to move from one organisation to the other. 
Yeah, I think the reason they do it is because they don't want to give train drivers a piece of paper that says, yeah, I can drive trains and they can take it elsewhere. The systems and processes that they have in place in these large companies in regards to their training and learning development um, processes are generally pretty good. Rio Tinto drivers also have a lot to say about training. And due to automation, they seem to be constantly in training mode with never enough qualified staff. President of the Rio Tinto Pilbara Lodge, Rodney Slap, explains. About 2015, 16, after many years of expansion, um, Cape Lambert doubled in size and we had a, a big training burden and it was like we were constantly training new staff because we had a bigger task to do. Um, so we went from two car dumpers at, at Cape Lambert to we've now got five. So that's like um, a trebling of the amount of trains that came in the terminal and the production tonnes went from, I think, they were about 100 million tonnes a year to 350 million tonnes a year or something. So we got up to this, finally got up to this critical mass where we had the, the right amount of people and, and we no longer had any trainees on site. It was like we all took a collective sigh of relief, uh, you know, because it was like, all right, we're there. And then, uh, of course, auto hall started getting in, implemented and then, of course, uh, you know, they didn't need as many people because the robots were driving the trains out in the main line rather than um, drivers. So, yeah, people left in droves. And so here we are now, we're back back to the future, training all these new staff to actually just work in the yard because the competitors up the road have been poaching all our, um, all our qualified drivers and then people who want to drive trains. They, they go up the road because you actually get to drive a train on the main line, whereas um, apart from our Road Valley trains, which is six fleets, there's, that's all we've got. And the other 60 trains are driven by the robots. Drivers have been leaving Rio Tinto due to the challenges there. Justin Parry was with Rio for 15 years, rising to the level of superintendent. He regularly trained other drivers during his time there. He says he really noticed the difference in morale when he left Rio to drive for BHP in 2019. The difference in the morale in the two workplaces was just um, chalk and cheese. Uh, the morale at BHP was just miles better than um, what I'd experienced in the last probably five or six years at Rio Tinto. The guys up there, because they were still driving trains, there was no um, automated train on the horizon at that stage that, um, yeah, they just had a better camaraderie. The camps were better. Um, the food was probably a little bit better, but um, only marginally. But uh, yeah, so that was one of the big differences was just the morale. Speaking of the camps, accommodation and food are two key issues which are raised by drivers. With train drivers on different rosters to other workers and fatigue a key workplace safety issue, train drivers regularly being woken up is another grievance often raised. Uh, a train driver works all hours around the clock, uh, generally starting at sort of every half an hour, whereas a morning worker will probably start at six in the morning at six at night. A train driver needs to get their sleep, I suppose, like everybody else. However, the issues in regards to them being woken up by other people, they may be in a room next door, it might be somebody across the, the block that is having a beer, uh, impacts. It's not only where they're located in regards to the other workers, but it's also the quality. 
Um, nothing worse than going to an accommodation room where you get in there and the aircon sounds like a jet taken off and you're supposed to sleep. They, I mean the companies, um, will certainly need to up their accommodation and it's not at the new places, the new camps, it's all the older stuff they've got around a place that they expect drivers to stay at. Food is another issue. Drivers are forbidden from doing their own cooking, which means for fresh, nutritious food, they're forced to turn to the camp mess halls. Food quality has been deteriorating over the last decade. At FMG, you know, you, you eat the roast meat with a steak knife because it's just that bad. Another example where a, uh, a worker up there at one of their sites has turned the meat over and it was green, and the people across the table could see the meat was green. And, uh, and he was basically told, um, you know, if you raise a concern, um, it won't go well for you. Green meat, that is a little bit off. Well, those are some of the driver's concerns. But what about enterprise agreements? Where are Warren and Justin and Rodney and other mining and energy union members in the Pilbara up to with the big four companies when it comes to EAs? Where is Warren up to with discussions when he flies up to the Pilbara himself to meet with them? Well, Rio Tinto's agreement has two years to run, but BHP hasn't had an agreement for seven years and FMG for the better part of a decade. And Roy Hill, while they're so recalcitrant, they're yet to sit down with their workers' representatives. At the moment, the, the majority of work that I'm doing in the Pilbara is with BHP. BHP has told their train drivers for the last seven years that they're happy with the agreement they have in place. Um, that, that agreement expired seven years ago. Currently, we have written to BHP after getting 87% of their employees to sign a petition saying that they wish to collectively bargain. Um, after writing to BHP, they've responded to us and said that they basically don't believe that we could get that number of people. And we are currently waiting on another response from at the moment, hoping they'll come to the table without us having to go to Fair Work Commission. The Fair Work process uh, dictates that we can get, we need to get 50% plus one to sign a petition of the people covered by an agreement and then they can uh, issue a majority support order and that will require BHP to come to the table. So there's some work that's being done there uh, currently. At Rio, Rio have an agreement that still has two years to run. That agreement took quite a bit of work to get in place and that required a majority support determination as well back in the day. FMG have not been able to or have not wanted to do a collective agreement with their workforce uh, and their agreement's been in place for about 10 years. And then Roy Hill have indicated to their train drivers that have just been uh, newly employed by Roy Hill from Karajini Rail um, that there will be no collective agreements at Roy Hill. So that'll be a work in progress. While Warren's work finding common ground with the big four iron ore miners in the Pilbara is important, he's also been busily beefing up the skills of members. To start off with, the local lodges have been given a refresh with a new energised executive, led by Justin and Rodney, who you've met today on the podcast. But there is more work to do. We are identifying shift delegates, panel delegates. We'll train them. Uh, and we will give them um, the tools that they will need, as an example, to be a support person, uh, to go in and, and uh, support their fellow workers if they're in an inquiry. Um, we will also put in the process where we have monthly meetings, which are very, very important. Um, we're using Zoom and Teams 
uh, to be able to meet with the drivers at a FIFO. We uh, intend to meet following the monthly meetings with uh, each of the organisations, uh, with a person who has the authority to answer the questions or at least provide us feedback further down the track. This has been a point that's been lacking in the Pilbara for some time. Um, the management generally um, have a view that because they come out and they tell people what's going to happen in the future or what the, what the company's plans are, that they've consulted uh, with the workforce. Um, that's not actually the case. Telling people what they're going to do is not consultation. In five years' time, we'd like to see that we've got some industry standards, as in the wage parity, the accommodation, the travel arrangements, training. We can say, well, this is the standard in the program, and this is what we expect um, the organisations to, to at least work towards and maintain. At the end of the day, that's, that's all people really want. They want to, they want to be asked uh, about change. They don't want it forced on them and they certainly don't want to be in a situation where they have no choice. Warren says there are many similarities with his current job and his former role as a safety officer with the Office of the National Rail Safety Regulator. After working with the regulator for eight years, one of the most important parts of that job was the relationships that you've built with the operators. Over that eight years, um, there were certainly some relationships that I think certainly made the job a lot easier. With the, the current role as an organiser looking after the drives in the Pilbara, I think it's very important that we have, or we build relationships with uh, the supervisors and the management um, in the Pilbara because at the end of the day, we can have those discussions on a one-on-one -on -one basis. We can put out a lot of the fires before they even start. Um, there's already been some contact from uh, some of the operators up there in regards to just on a, on a personal basis, people who wanted to meet me. And I find that being really encouraging because the conversations that we're having are ones right at the shop floor. Um, I've said to these people, if they need uh, to get an understanding of what the union's position is, or if I need to find out you know, what the actual truth is um, in re behind a situation, um, I can call them and that makes life a whole lot easier. Mining and Energy Union Pilbara organiser, Warren Johncock. You've been listening to the Mining and Energy Union podcast. My name's Tim Brunero. Talk to you next time.